Welcome to the Sadler Lectures podcast. Responding to popular demand, I'm converting my philosophy videos into sound files you can listen to anywhere you can take an MP3. If you like what you hear and want to support my work, go to patreon.com sadler. I hope you enjoy this lecture. A significant part of the action and events in Ursula K. Le Guin's second Earthsea novel, The Tombs of Atuan, is happening exactly underneath those tombs, these massive monoliths that have been there for time immemorial and which are the domain of the ancient ones, the ancient powers of the earth that are called the nameless ones, the masters that Arha serves as a priestess and she gets to know her domain and we as the readers get to know it as the chapters progress there's a very important developmental exposition that's taking place and interestingly she has to learn about this although she is the reincarnation of the previous priestess she has to learn about it from the two other priestesses not the priestesses of the nameless ones but those of the god king and of the twin brothers who have been told by the previous Arha, you need to tell my successor this and this and this and this. And they've memorized all of that. And Kassel is going to lead her into the undertomb so that she can administer some of her duties and get to know her domain. And so over time, Arha is going to do this. It begins with the sacrifice of prisoners who have been sent by the god king. And before that, there's this exchange between Arha and her eunuch Manan. So she says, there are riches there. Thar tells me about them sometimes enough to fill the god king's temple ten times over. Gold and trophies given ages ago, a hundred generations, who knows how long. They're all locked away in the pits and vaults underground. They won't take me there yet. They keep me waiting and waiting. But I know what it's like. There are rooms underneath the hall, underneath the whole place under where we stand now. There's a great maze of tunnels, a labyrinth. It's like a great dark city under the hill full of gold and the swords of old heroes and old crowns and years and silence. She spoke as if in trance, in rapture. And so what, what's going on there? She's, she's going off of the stories of what's underneath, her imaginations. She has not yet encountered the realities. So he says, well, you're mistress of all that, the silence and the dark. And she says, I am, but they won't show me anything. Only the rooms above ground behind the throne. They haven't even shown me the entrances to the places underground. They just mumble about them sometimes. They're keeping my own domain from me. Why do they make me wait and wait? And Manan says, well, you're young and perhaps they're afraid, little one. It's not their domain after all, it's yours. They're in danger when they enter there. There's no mortal that doesn't fear the nameless ones. And this is worth spending a little bit of time on as we find out in the story, there are places that some people can go to, for example, these eunuchs. No man is supposed to be in there, but priestesses and eunuchs can go in, but only so far. So for example, within the labyrinth, Indeed, the priestesses and the eunuchs can go in there, but there is a room, the great treasure room, that only Arha is supposed to be able to go into. Anybody who else who goes in there may never come out. As a matter of fact, once the door is closed to the labyrinth, it's pretty difficult to get out as well. And why? Because the old powers don't want people 
in their domains. They don't want them committing sacrilege. They tolerate the priestess. They tolerate the eunuchs doing things. They consume the sacrifices that are made to them. And they also consume all the thieves who have come in to try to steal bits of the treasure. So as we go on, Castle says, one of my mistress's duties is the sacrifice of certain prisoners, criminals of noble birth, who by sacrilege or treason have sinned against our Lord, the God King, or against the nameless one, said Arha, truly. Now it is not fitting that the eaten one while yet a child should undertake this duty, but my mistress is no longer a child. There are prisoners in the room of chains sent a month ago by the grace of our Lord, the God King from his city, Awabath. And so now is when she's being initiated. And it's because of these prisoners who have to be sacrificed in the Room of Chains. The Room of Chains is, as you could guess, a room in which people are chained up and essentially kept there. In this case, they'll be kept there until they die in uncomfortable positions. And then they'll be buried and eaten by the nameless ones in what is called the Undertomb. And so there's this exposition of the, the Room of of chains, which is set off from the undertomb. And then there's the undertomb itself. And the undertomb is this vast cavern underneath the tombs. So there's some discussion here. Arha has a set of keys, right? And as Castle says, my mistress has the keys to all the dark places. Since the coming of her age, Arha had worn on her belt an iron ring on which held a little dagger and 13 keys, some long and heavy, some small as fish hooks. That one, Castle said, pointing and placed her thick forefinger on a crevice between two red pitted rock surfaces. The key opens up the rock face and they enter into it. It was absolutely black. There was no light. The dark seemed to press like wet felt on the open eyes. They crouched, almost doubled over for the place they stood in was not four feet high. Did you bring a light? She whispered as one does in the dark. I brought no light, Castle replied behind her. And then they, they move on and they are in this vast cavern. Arha says, here we must be beneath the stones. And then Castle says, yes, this is the undertomb. Go on. I cannot stay here. Follow the wall to the left past three openings. And Arha says, I shall come here with a torch. Light is forbidden here. Castle's whisper was sharp. Even as she said it, Arha knew this must be so. This was the very home of darkness, the inmost center of the light. So they're in the undertombs, which will be illuminated later on when Ged is invading and seeking things out and Arha is following him around. So here's what we actually learn about what it looks like. Arha saw what she had never seen. Though she had lived a hundred lives, a great vaulted cavern beneath the tombstones, not hollowed by man's hand, but by the powers of the earth. It was jeweled with crystals and ornamented with pinnacles and filigrees of white limestone where the waters under earth had worked. Eon sense immense with glittering roof and walls, sparkling, delicate, intricate, a palace of diamonds, a house of amethyst and crystal from which the ancient darkness had been driven out by glory. So this is a very beautiful cave, a very beautiful cavern that we're finding here in the home of the nameless ones. A strong contrast to the oppressiveness, to the secret nature of the dark that consumes everything else. They go through the prisoner's door, they go into the undertomb, they go further 
And after they've dealt with this, this area, which Arha has not yet seen in the light, she questions, well, how do we actually get out of here? You can't go back through the door through the stone. Instead, there's a trap door that leads to a little room, as they say, behind in this warren of rooms behind the throne room, the empty throne that signifies those powers. And what we get in this is descriptions of the fear and uncanniness involved for Arha early on, right? At the very beginning, she doesn't find this place something hospitable, right? And it's kind of scary to go down in there. If you get lost, you're lost for good. As she says, all the tunnels were the same, crossing and recrossing. She kept careful count of her turnings and passings and recited Thar's directions to herself, though she knew them perfectly. It would not do to get lost in the labyrinth. In the undertomb and the short passages around it, Castle or Thar might find her or Manan come seeking for her. Here, none of them had ever been, only she herself. Little good it would do her if they came to the undertomb and called aloud, right? She also says it's kind of strange, right? Thar knew about the labyrinth, little about it, but the name of certain of its rooms and the list of directions. She would tell these to Arha, but she would never draw them in the dust or even with a gesture of hand in the air. When Arha asked her what is going on, like, for example, how does the way run from the room of bones to the tunnel by the river? Thar would be silent a while and then would tell her. And one of the things that's kind of strange about this is she'll say, you told to me before you died. This is the case and this is where you need to go. And what this turns into for Arha after a while is curiosity. She wants to know all of her domain. She doesn't actually find out all of the labyrinth we find out later in the book, but curiosity and knowledge. She goes down there and traces things out. She also explores the rooms behind the throne and, you know, goes into the various treasures. And there are three places that are mentioned by name within the labyrinth, this maze. Uh, there's an open iron door, which she will close on Ged and trap him in there about halfway through the story. One is the Room of Bones. And we don't actually know that much about the Room of Bones. We just know that it's there and there's some sort of, you know, water source and stuff like that. Then there's the Painted Room. And the Painted Room has an interesting description there, right? We find out out that the painted room does in fact have these paintings. She liked to go there sometimes and study the strange wall drawings that leapt out of the dark at the gleam of her candle. Men with long wings and great eyes, serene and morose. No one could tell her what they were. There were no such paintings elsewhere in the place, but she thought she knew. They were the spirits of the damned who are not reborn. Right? So there's all of this interesting stuff that's, that's going on. And then we find that there's also one very important room that nobody's supposed to enter except for the priestess. She takes Gad there. Actually, she has Manan carry him and then tells Manan, you can't go in here, wait outside the door. And Manan says, he, but not I. And then she says, if you enter this room, Manan, you will never leave it. That is the law for all but me. No mortal being but I has ever left this room alive. Will you go in? He says, oh, no, no, I'll wait outside. <laughs> 
Please don't shut the door, though. So she brings Ged in, and we have an interesting description here. There were six great chests, all of stone, all thick with a fine gray dust like the mold on bread, nothing else. The walls were rough, the roof low. The place was cold with a deep and airless cold that seemed to stop the blood in the heart. There were no cobwebs, only the dust. Nothing lived here, nothing at all, not even the rare, small, white spiders of the labyrinth. The dust was thick, thick, and every grain of it might be a day that had passed here where there was no time or light, days, months, years, ages, all gone to dust. This is the place you sought, Arha said, and her voice was steady. This is the great treasure of the tombs. You have come to it. You cannot ever leave it. You said you wanted to stay alive. This is the only place where I know you can stay alive. You couldn't have left the tombs in any case. Don't you see? This is no different. At least you've come to, to the end of your journey. What you sought is here. And she unchains him and says, you can't leave here. So there's no point in keeping you chained. And she tells him that she'll bring food and water to him in the very heart of this labyrinth. So what we have going on here in the story is an exploration of this domain of the nameless ones, the domain of the priestess, where she takes Ged, interestingly enough, to keep him safe, at least for a little while. And once we've gone into the very heart of it, and they've been in there, they'll issue forth, and that's going to be the last part of the story. So a lot of stuff being set in this deep underground subterranean cavern labyrinth setting that plays a very important role in this story. Special thanks to all of my Patreon supporters for making this podcast possible. You can find me on Twitter at Philosopher70, on YouTube at the Gregory B. Sadler channel, and on Facebook on the Gregory B. Sadler page. Once again, to support my work, go to patreon.com Sadler. Above all, keep studying these great philosophical works.